From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales, Gator Greats, the story of the 2017 Baseball National Champions. On our last show, we took you through the regular season for the 2017 team as they formed their identity, ultimately becoming a unit anchored by dominant pitching and a scrappy offense that just seemed to find ways to get the job done. After winning the SEC regular season title but getting blown out and mercy ruled in the SEC tournament, the Gators earned the number three national seed and felt ready for battle especially since the SEC put eight teams in the tournament, the most of any league that year. This assured them the opportunity to stay home all the way through to the College World Series, so long as they kept finding ways to survive in each stage of the double elimination tournament. As recalled by head coach Kevin O'Sullivan, that was easier said than done. Well, the first game we played Marist, and if you ask the average fan, they probably don't know where Marist is. And... (laughs) You know, and they're a four seed, we're one seed. It's not supposed to be close. Well, when you look at the game, we only had a one-run lead going into the bottom of the eighth. I think we're up seven to six with Jackson Cole on the mound. So, you know, I had to use Michael Byrne for, for two and two-thirds in that game to win it. So really for seven straight innings, it, it was a one-run game. So that was a really difficult ball game, but we were fortunate enough, obviously, you know, to score three in the eighth. You know, and then we, then we play USF the next night, and we got to go 12 innings. And I think there was an errant throw, a pickoff at first that kind of opened up the 12th inning. But the game was tied for 11 innings, you know, and then we got Bethune. So in our dugout, we're thinking, you know, it's over. We got Singer on the mound against, you know, Bethune. And all I can remember is early in that game, they were getting off swings on his fastball. But I was like, this, this is impossible. <laughs> I, I did not see this coming. So obviously we lost, we lost that game. So then we go into game four. The winner moves on and it's scoreless through five. I mean, we haven't scored a run and they haven't. You know, and they keep going to the bullpen. They keep bringing in different looks. And, you know, the key to that game was Austin Langworthy threw four innings of one-run ball and kind of kept kept it intact. And once again, I had to use Michael Byrne for two and a third and 31 pitches, I think it was. But, you know, Bethune played outstanding. And But once again, we don't ever think we're going to get to the final game because we got Brady Singer on the mound. Mm-hmm. But once again, we had to bounce back. Well, the lack of pitching at that point, I knew we didn't have a whole lot of margin for error on the mound. Like our guys, our main guys needed to perform. And when one of these guys, you know, had an outing that they, they're not accustomed to having, like Brady, that really put a lot of pressure on the other guys. Junior ace Alex Fido had given the Gators exactly what they needed in game two against USF, allowing just one run over seven innings while striking out 10. He didn't get the win due to the deadlock through 11 innings. But after the Gators prevailed 5-1 to in 12, he also felt great about where they sat going into the regional final against Bethune-Cookman. The regional game, we, we had it set up perfectly. I mean, we won our first two games. We, we got to where we needed to be in the uh, playing Bethune in the, um, the, final, the regional finals game. And I don't remember that game too much. I tried to erase it from my brain. <laughs> but we ended up losing. And I think that was just kind of like, we, we did a good job at bouncing back. So I guess like, I never really thought of it like this before, but that was kind of like the Auburn series. Like we kind of, we let something get away from us and then our games get away from us. And then we just had to like turn it on. Like we kind of like, it was like a slap in the face and we kind of knew that 
Like we had to switch our mentalities up right away. And then we got a couple of guys stepped up. I think Kirby threw against uh, McMullen threw against uh, Bethune. I think Langworthy threw against Bethune. It was like two two way guys. So we didn't, we were kind of out of pitching and we ended up like sliding by that game. And it was almost like a sigh of relief. We were like, man, what are we doing? Sophomore Jackson Coar got the win in game one over Marist to improve to 12 and 0 in the year, despite his defense spouting a few leaks and he knew how fortunate they were to have enough versatility on the roster to get through the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I kind of forget how stressful that all was. I mean, if you had told me Brady versus Bethune to go to, you know, the re- Super Regional, I, I would have I would bet the house on it, you know? It was one of those things, and those guys were scrappy, and they beat us, and then we, you know, we had guys, I mean, it's crazy. Like, Kirby McMullen's career is just wild. I mean, he ended up starting that game, a, a deciding game, an elimination game, and, you know, as a freshman, you know, that's just, you forget how stressful all that was because it all worked out in the end. The Gators got to stay at their park, but their next opponent had developed a reputation for launching balls out of whatever yard they happened to be playing in. Wake Forest came into Gainesville for Super Regionals with an eye-popping 100 homers under their belts, by far the most in the nation, and more than double the 47 Florida had produced that year. For the pitching staff, the game plan was relatively straightforward. I mean, the biggest thing with a team like that, and I, when I pitched, I did the exact opposite of what I'm about to tell you. So I gave a bunch of runs. The biggest team with, thing with a team like that is a, a one-run home run is not going to beat you. So what I think our approach was, hey, like no free bases, good defense. If they hit a couple solo shots here and there, that's fine. We're going to score. I mean, I, they could pitch, but that wasn't their strength that year. I think we, we felt comfortable we could score some runs. It was like, hey, if we give up a couple solo shots, we're fine. Where we're going to get in trouble is, you know, falling behind 3-1 base hit, walk, and then the three-run homer. That's what's going to kill you. Of course, I gave up a couple three-run homers. I I didn't do very well on that. But um, (laughs) that was kind of our approach going in. But, I mean, that that lineup was competitive, and I I think there's going to be a couple of big leaguers from that lineup. This is where it gets interesting. So we we play game one. So Alex Byatt was on the mound, obviously, and and they got a guy named Parker Dunsey who's throwing – it seems like an invisible fastball. We're – we're hitting balls sideways and we're not on time. So Alex throws four innings, but we get rain. So when we come in, we're sitting here as a staff. We say, okay, we're not going to be able to run Alex back out there. Okay. But we know we don't have a whole lot of pitching depth. So the decision was made that we were going to throw Jackson Kohler out there and save Brady for game two. But as time went on and the rain kept coming and coming and coming, I just made, made the decision that I just, I didn't feel good about our offense. I didn't like the swings we were getting off. I didn't know if they were going to bring back Parker after the rain delay, which they did. And so I made the decision to switch it. I brought Singer out there to start the fifth, and Jackson was going to throw game two. And it really had to, it really came down to not from a lack of confidence with Jackson or more confidence with Brady. I just didn't feel good about us getting off good swings off this guy on the mound. So I, I anticipated that it was probably good, you know, probably going to be a low scoring game, which it obviously ended up being a low scoring game. We just were one in the bottom of the 11th again, you know, to win. So it worked out great. Obviously, Brady pitched great. He threw four innings. And then Michael Byrne came back and threw another three. So I'm not saying if I would, you know, if we would have went with Jackson, that it wouldn't have worked out the same way. It might have, but the decision to switch it up during that rain delay, you know, ended up being the right decision for that game. The rain delays Sully mentioned aren't just an occasional inconvenience. There's something of a yearly tradition when tournament time hits in Gainesville, which means the players are well accustomed to these sudden halts and the underlying swampy conditions that cause them. I mean, I think playing for a four, you just kind of get used to it, <laughs> the rain. 
Uh, I'm a big Sudoku puzzle guy, so I'll just put on the headphones, little country music, and a Sudoku puzzle. That year, I'd say what we were really into, what we would always do is we would get this app on our phone called Spades, like Spades Plus, which basically just play spades, but on our phones against each other. I remember that's what we would do for like, I mean, what else can you do? Because you don't want to sit there and just, you know, stew on the game. And you know in Gainesville, it's going to be over eventually. It's going to come and it's going to pass. So you just want to, you know, take a quick break. You know, don't stew on it and then, you know, get your body moving a little bit, stay warm, as warm as you can. And then, but take your mind off it because it's going to rain a lot and you're going to have to get used to it. So we used to play cards on our phone or I, I always do Sudoku puzzles. You get used to just kind of messing around on your phone. And I mean, we're, trust me, we're all pretty good at sitting there looking at our phones. So we, we, <laughs> we my generation is not too bad about rain delays. We can, we can waste time with the best of them. That's just regionals in Gainesville. I mean, you got to be used to that regional, super regional time after your first year, you, you uh you'll never forget it i know my sophomore my sophomore year i lost to florida state in the first game of the super regionals and i didn't think i threw bad but i i know that i felt like i was just really tired and like just dehydrated after the game and um i remember my dad telling me after the game that he was like man you looked you looked like the the sun and like everything was beating you up like you can't let that happen like things like that can't affect you and it was like have you been like keeping up with the conditioning and stuff and i was like yeah i keep up with my conditioning um, I do everything like we're supposed to do. And, and he was like, well, do you run inside or outside? And I was like, oh, well, will we run inside like before we lift, stuff like that. And he was like, well, we end up winning the series and going to the World Series. So at least I didn't cause us to lose. And <laughs> we were but um, I was like, all right, well, next year I'll run. Like I'll do all my running throughout the season outdoors. So I don't have like, hopefully like I get used to it enough to where I won't have that problem. And um, I did that. And I, I think... Um, I mean, I knew that was going to be a game changer for me for the super regional regional time. And I think that was huge. I mean, that, that really helped me at least. And I know I had to throw twice in that, that super regional. I had a long outing in the regional and I think I was prepared for it because of that. So like, I think looking back on the, um, not, maybe not every time you fail, but just looking back on like past instances and stuff like that can, you know, make you better in the future. And that helped me for the super, for the uh, playoff time in Gainesville. Because it beats up the it beats up the opponents for sure. You can't let it beat you up. That's supposed to be your home field advantage. You know, playing in the swamp. The Gators took the first game two to one on Ryan Larson's walk off single in the eleventh, and despite only four hits for the night, they were one win away from Omaha. Up the middle base hit. Gators win it. Gators win game one. Welcome back, Ryan Larson. First walk-off of the year for Florida. But while Game 2 was also 11 innings, it didn't have a similar ending, as Wake Forest used three long balls, including a walk-off bomb against star closer Michael Byrne, to push the series to the brink. Two days after throwing 53. That's well hit. We're going to get more baseball. Over the scoreboard. Now, the interesting part about this game is we got left on the field. So it was a walk-off home run. And I can only remember that one other time of getting left on the field on your own field. And that was against Mississippi State. So, it, I mean, everybody gets left on the field, but it's usually at somebody else's ballpark, obviously. You know, because you're usually, you're always the home team at home. Right. So it's a, it's a weird feeling. Like you're sitting there and you're like, you get left on the field and you got to walk, you know, you got to walk off the field from a walk-off from somebody else on your own field. So it's a, it's a really different feel. So then we get to game three. And this is a really good story here too. We knew the rain was coming again. So we tried to delay, tried to delay, let this storm go through. But obviously the decision was made to start the game. And, that, and that's the game when 
Brady threw two innings, and here comes the rain, and you know the infamous getting upset coming off the mound. You know the competitive spirit that he is, obviously. So, so we go back in the locker room. So I remember sitting in my office, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna lay out a plan. The plan was this guy's gonna throw one inning, this guy's gonna throw two, this guy's gonna give one, this guy's gonna give us two. So I had the plan written down on paper. So I was gonna go talk to the team. So I had I had Alex Faido um, in my office, and I said, okay. You threw four innings on Friday. How many innings do you have in your arm if we have a lead late in the game? And he goes, let me think about it. I said, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm not going to tell you anything. I just need to know. Because mm. obviously, you know, he's getting ready to get drafted that night. Sure. So he goes, I got two innings in me. I said, okay. So I go in the locker room. The guys are, the guys are excited to go get playing again. So here comes Tyler Dyson out of, the, out of the locker room. I pull him aside. I said, you're starting this thing, and I'm not taking you out. You're going to run this thing to the end of the ballgame. And he goes, I got you. So he goes out there with those five innings of no runs. But it was a kind of a trick. So I didn't want to put all the pressure on Tyler because he was a, he's still a freshman. And I didn't want him to feel like he needed to shoulder all of the load in front of his teammates. So that's why I did it individually with him. And sure enough, that's when he just took off. So then Alex gets drafted in the first round. I bring him in in the eighth inning. And he is so amped up. I had to go to the mound. I think he walked the first guy in four pitches. I said, you just got to breathe. Because the guy had just gotten drafted mm -hmm. by the Tigers. And now he's closing out a game. And he's not used to closing. He's been starting his whole career. And he's amped up about being, you know, drafted in the first round. You know, he's wanting to pitch well for his teammates. You know, Tyler Dyson gives us the best outing he's got, given us all year long. And, and, and the rest is history. You know, so then we end up, you know, obviously getting on the plane to go to Omaha. Fayedo ready. Here it is. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Omaha, here we come again. Alex Fayedo mobbed down the mound. They'll dogpile off to the first base side of the mound. Be careful, boys. That's a multi-million dollar arm out there. As the Gators have won it again, heading to Omaha. They've shut out the highest ranked offense the Wake Forest Demon Deacons as the Gators win this clincher three to nothing. The Gators were headed back to the promised land with that three nothing victory, and while it was tougher than some expected, the adversity created more of those critical calluses. I can't imagine a better team um, that year that didn't make it to Omaha, the Wake Forest. I mean, that team could swing it. Those, those I mean, I remember going into that series, we were like, oh well, because they led the NCAA in home runs, and we were like, well, they played a little tiny yard and. Yeah, whatever. It's not the SEC. No, those guys could bang. Those guys could <laughs> absolutely bang. So I think that Super Regional was the best thing that could have happened to us because, like I said, Wake Forest, I can't imagine a, a better team we played all year that year. I mean, for, for that was one of the most elite teams we played, especially lineups that I pitched against in my entire college career. So I think that was big. And then uh, obviously we had to battle some adversity with the rain that weekend. But, the you know, silver lining, Tyler Dyson ended up having to pitch a bunch of big innings. And guess what? That comes right back full circle in the championship when he's got to throw a big innings. So it's kind of crazy how that all works out. But it was – I think it ended up working in our favor because we had to have a bunch of young guys step up. And like I said, when we got to Omaha, we felt we had probably more depth than we really did because our young guys were so used to pitching in those leverage postseason situations. This marked the 11th trip to the College World Series in program history and the sixth under Sully. The previous five all ended short of a title, and the 2016 visit had been particularly painful, as the talent-rich Orange and Blue entered as the number one seed and overwhelming favorite before being the first team sent home. 
This undoubtedly raised the stakes and blood pressure for many of the players, especially those who knew their time was running short. Definitely, I felt it more with the older guys, Alex and JJ and Mikey and Dalton, because you got to remember those guys were on the with a 2015 team that was so painfully close to making it as well. You know, they were in the semifinal, and then, you know, 2016 was supposed to be the year. So those guys had been so close for the, their first two years. And so I think we definitely felt a lot of pressure. Uh, but at the same time, I think the thing about when you get to Omaha is it's, it's so small, the, the difference between the teams. So I wouldn't say, like, there was too much of a difference in the way we prepared for 2016 and 2017. I think we had so many guys so familiar with Omaha that probably gave us uh, ultimately a leg up when we got there. So I think, you know, the pressure, we, we did a really good job of, of kind of channeling that pressure and, and, and using it more as an experience as, as opposed to a burden. So I think the older guys really did a good job setting the tone. There has often been a disconnect between who the best team throughout the regular season is and who ends up dogpiling in Omaha, which comes down to a combination of styles and matchups. Obviously, TD Ameritrade is, is, is a really big ballpark. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the style of play to win in the SEC is not small ball. It's a totally different game. Mm-hmm. The ballparks are smaller. You know, there's bigger, stronger kids. The bunt game isn't a, a major big deal in the, in, in the offense. It's not like the West Coast. It's more of a power game. But when you get out to Omaha, you know, if you hit balls in the air a lot, you're not going to be successful. So I think that's the biggest thing is when you get out there, even though we won games a certain way throughout the year, we're going to have to have the ability – to adjust our swings just enough, not overdo it, but stay in the middle of the field because if the wind's blowing in, and obviously it's a big enough ballpark, there, there's a lot of outs in the air. And I think, you know, like I said, we, we were able to do that that year offensively out there. It's also about managing nerves, which is easier for some than others, especially when you factor in experience on the biggest stage. For me, I was super nervous because I had no, I didn't, my freshman year, I didn't get a chance to pitch. So I was... You know, I'm, I was kind of wired and I had a long time to wait, which was good because, you know, when you win the first two games, you end up getting a lot of time off. So I was just kind of sitting there stewing for a while. But I think, I mean, it's no secret when you get to Omaha, the biggest thing is winning the first game. If you, if you have to come out of the loser's bracket, it's just tough. I don't care how good your pitching staff is. That's a lot of innings to eat up. So I think Alex set the tone against TCU. I think that was probably the biggest thing for us. I'm sure he wouldn't tell you that. But again, I can't say enough about how good of a job he did that year of just being a leader for our staff. So, I mean, I think when we won that first game, and then obviously, I mean, Brady was unconscious in that postseason, and he was he was lights out the next game. I think putting yourself in that position is, puts your mind at ease. Obviously, I didn't hold up my end against TCU for the third game, and Alex had to bail me out. But I, I think winning that first game is probably the biggest thing. And like I said, my freshman year, we lost that first game. It's just tough. I don't care how – I mean, that year we had as good a pitching as you know anybody, but it's just hard to dig your whole, yourself out of that hole. I really learned my, my junior year, that first game that I pitched. I, I, I give Logan Shore a lot of credit now knowing this because I, I wouldn't have been able to know this being the Sunday starter for the two years of uh, – previously uh whenever i felt like i had a good start or we won that game on friday like we instantly won the series like we won the series or swept a team and i just felt like all the momentum was on our side and logan shore did that so often that like i never got to appreciate it but i knew that going into the world series if we could win that first game it would be kind of like that same situation and you know we were able to put in a good team team win together and we got to win that first game and you know we kind of kind of got the ball rolling brady brady did his thing right after that and then um, 
Jackson threw well. It struck out a million people. I remember if it was like 12 or 13 guys, he just pitch count went up because he was striking out too many guys. <laughs> and um, the uh, so we ended up losing that game and just kind of had, I kind of just felt like I, it was just like restarting again. But I think that first game really set us up. I, I, I always feel good. I think the biggest thing is, is I've gotten better on how to handle a lot of the different distractions and things out there. And, you know, sometimes having less control, you're, you have more control. Sometimes, you know, it, it's hard enough to play this game, but then, you know, sometimes you, you get in that situation where, you, you know, you, you have too many rules, you know, too many deadlines during the day, too many meetings, and, and, it, and the kids get paralyzed. But I think the biggest thing, if you can win game one, which obviously Alex, once again, you know, pitches seven innings against a really good TCU team and gives up no runs, strikes out 11. Michael Byrne does his thing. And then obviously once Brady was able to go out there the second game and beat a really, really, really good Louisville team, I think at that point, I think we started to believe we could do this. The Gators beat TCU 3-1 to in their opening game on Sunday, then defeated Louisville 5-1 to on Tuesday. A 2-0 start means you're one win away from the finals, but it also gives you multiple days off to wait for the semis, time that everyone uses differently. I mean, I was lucky. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my dad used all his vacation days. Um, that he just parked it there. They, my parents just they didn't want to leave, so so I had them there, which was nice. They were awesome to have around. Um, I tell you what, there's a, there was a family that used to uh, that like hosts parents every year, and I think Singer's parents were there. I think the Lippets were there. Like a couple of the Burns. And so, honestly, we would, you know, we'd have a practice in the morning. We'd go get breakfast. We had this one spot downtown we'd go to for lunch every day. And then our parents would come scoop us up and we'd go hang out and just kill time, play cards, you know, whatever, watch TV, watch the games. I think I remember I was finishing up finals. I had online summer B finals that week. So I was doing a lot of managerial accounting on my, on my, <laughs> on my, I remember that. I remember the night before the national championship game or the day before, like the day of, like the, week, the day we won it. I finished my last assignment like 10 minutes before the bus ride. Oh, wow. So I remember <laughs> doing a lot of that. I remember that was brutal. I was sitting there on my laptop doing accounting. But I think a lot of us were in summer school, actually. So that was actually kind of nice probably for the boys to just get their mind off it. But like I said, we got good at killing time. And I think a lot of our families just decided to burn their vacation days and, and park it. And I think that was nice for all of us to have a family there. TCU once again greeted the Gators in the semifinals, and just like each of the previous rounds of the tournament, Florida was taken to the edge following a 9-2 loss to the Horned Frogs on Friday. But just like the tussles with Bethune-Cookman and Wake Forest, Florida proved resilient behind Alex Fiedo and shut out TCU 3-0 on Saturday to reach the championship series. The other two semifinalists were number one seed Oregon State and number four seed LSU, both more than formidable challengers. And whether or not the Gators had a preference of who would be in the other dugout come Monday, they were just grateful to be on even footing in terms of rest and games played. I think the biggest thing that year was, well, you have to remember, that was a season that Oregon State was unbelievable. I know they won it the next year. They kind of did, they pulled on us, where the year they were supposed to win it, they didn't. And then the next year, they ended up falling it up. So that year, that was the year that Oregon State, I mean, they lost like three games. They were unbelievable. And them and LSU beat each other up in the semifinals, so... It was nice because it kind of made up for us not, you know, Alex having to go out and pitch the fourth game against TCU. 
So we had the big pitching matchup early. I mean, they were just kind of Johnny Holstaff versus Brady. And that's a good matchup for us, obviously. So I remember we were watching. We, we didn't really care who we played, but we were just happy that they were beating up on each other and their pitching staffs were kind of getting run through. LSU ultimately joined Florida in the finals, setting up a conference showdown not too dissimilar from Florida's last trip to the championship series, which saw South Carolina prevail over the Gators back in 2011. Taking two of three in the LSU series in Gainesville nearly three months prior served as a key point in the Gators' turnaround after the early stumble at Auburn. And now they had a chance to claim their first national title against one of the most prestigious baseball programs in the country with six championships to their name. We always had a good little home crowd of like family and friends and, and Gator fans. TCU had a pretty good crowd whenever we played them, uh, and so did Louisville. But... um I mean, it was a lot of just like baseball fans, people that go to experience Omaha. But when we played LSU in the finals, like both those games felt like I was at like, I was like in Baton Rouge for like a football game. There was just like 95% of the entire stadium were LSU fans. And I mean, they travel well. They're a great fan base. And that, I mean, that made it really fun. I remember we went out there for BP and like they were all like had their flags hanging and stuff like that. I'll never forget it. And it kind of felt like David and Goliath, like it felt like they had all the advantage. It was perfect for us because we were like, that's fine. Like we know we're a really good team. We know like we were playing with confidence and we knew Brady had game one. So we felt good, but it was weird because we felt like no one else thought we were ready to go. Well, I, I think playing LSU gave us a little bit of comfort and I probably can't speak for LSU, but they probably felt the same way because we knew our club so much. So we really didn't have to spend much time at all on scouting reports. So the main focus was it was on our team. And I felt good going into game one. I mean, who wouldn't with Brady Singer on the mound? And obviously, the big turning point in that game, if you recall, um, Horvath made an unbelievable throw from right center field to second base. To, to, I think it was, it might have been Robertson, the shortstop, you know, who tried to stretch a single into a double. Mm -hmm. And we only, you know, and, and that was late in the ball game. But that throw that he made, was an incredible, an incredible throw. And that just totally changed the momentum. I think it was the eighth inning um, of that ball game. And obviously, we ended up winning that ball game by a run. So LSU obviously had to take that first game and, and just piece it together. And um, I think Brady did a great job, obviously, of not you know trying to do too much. I mean, that's a big spot for him. I think he had a lot of pressure because he was supposed to win that game. But he did a good job of just filling it up and, and, and doing his thing. Um, that play Nick Horvath made. And center throwing out Josh Smith at second, I think that's one of the better plays I've ever seen in my life, given the circumstances. I mean, that's a that's a one-in-a-million throw, but he makes it look so easy. So I think that game was awesome, just to get that under our belts. And then we knew the next two games were going to be a battle, because they had Poche and Lang. Left field. Caught. And it goes as scripted for Kevin O'Sullivan in Florida. Brady Singer, Michael Byrne. And they win game one. Florida was just one win away, but LSU wouldn't go down quietly. And as freshman Austin Langworthy learned in the outfield, neither would their fans. You know, I just remember hearing my family's name coming from the outfield, you know, my girlfriend's name, just about everybody in my family, you know, just... For me personally, I kind of find it funny. I, I listen, of course. Well, I hear them screaming, so I listen to what they're saying, and some of it's kind of amusing. So, I mean, some people it fires up. Some people it doesn't really bother them. It doesn't really bother me. 
Given how important pitching was to the success of the team at this stage, Sully knew he could be in a tough spot if it came down to finishing a tight one in Game 2, as star closer Michael Byrne had been used extensively in the last few days and might not be able to give the Gators what they needed. This wasn't exactly a secret, at least to one of Florida's arms that was looking for a way to contribute. Okay, so when we get to the ballpark, we get off the bus. I'm, I'm going through the tunnel. Jackson walks by me and says, Coach, if you need me to close tonight, I'm ready to go. So for me, I was just like, give me the ball any chance I can get because obviously I'd lost to Wake Forest and I'd lost to TCU. So I told Sully, I was like, any, any chance you can get me in this game, I'll take it. And uh, I know we had been running Bernie. You know, he, he was carrying us for a long time that year and he was, you know, getting up there in, in innings. And so I said, Bernie runs out of gas at any point or we need something. Uh, I can throw today and tomorrow. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. That thought never crossed my mind. <laughs> never. You know, so I can't take any credit for that decision or that to even come into my mind. So we go into the holding room, we get ready to take BP, and I make the decision that if we have a two-run lead or more, that I'm going to use them. I, I kept thinking to myself, I'm so tired of coming out here and falling short. <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I didn't feel good about, you know, facing, you know, laying on Sunday or the third game, mm-hmm. you know. So not that our guys couldn't have handled that, that game with him, but – I just felt like for us to win this thing, and if we had a lead or two-run lead, you know, I was going to use them. So sure enough, we got a one-run lead. So I'm sitting there on the stop, uh, top of the uh, step of the dugout, and honestly, I was contemplating back and forth. I, I told myself, you made a decision that if you had a two-run lead or more, that you're going to use them. But it was only a one-run lead. Hmm. And I literally was talking to myself. I said, I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm tired of being conservative, you know, we, we got a chance to win this thing and, and we're going to go for it. And, and that was the bottom line. So the other thing too is, you know, just like Alex closed out the third game in the Supers against Wake Forest, you know, he hadn't done that the whole year. His routine was different because he's always been a starter. The same thing with Jackson, you know, he was a starter. So you're almost, it's not that you're trying to be conservative, but you don't want to put your players in position not to be successful. So I'm, I'm asking these guys to change their roles and their routines at, at the most stressful time of the year. Mm-hmm. So for them to come through and, and, and really perform at a high level in those stressful situations was really the difference. And then obviously the big play in that ball game was, was JJ's throw to home and, you know, the play at the plate. Here's Kowar coming set. There goes the runner. The pitch swung on and bounced to the glove with the first baseman Schwartz. He's coming to the plate. He throws to Rivera. He's out at the plate. Oh, my. Schwartz to Rivera. Beautifully done. Robertson out. Two gone. What a great backhanded play by J.J., who was playing even with the bag. He hopped off. He was able to scoop that ball up in a dart. I remember it was, I think it was Dykeman at the plate, and they put somebody in motion at first. Now, when the balls hit the J.J., if their runner does not get put into motion and he doesn't, I don't know if it was a hit and run or a steal, JJ probably throws the ball to second and cut, tries to go, you know, a three, six, you know, one or three, six, three double play. Mm-hmm. But since the guy was in motion, there was no play at second. So his only option was to throw the ball home. <laughs> and if you look at the throw and we do practices, you know, the ball's got to be thrown on the, on the left, left knee of the catcher. Cause if the ball is thrown on the first base side and Mikey's got to come back to make the tag, he's safe. Mm-hmm. So that totally changed the whole momentum of that ball game, and obviously we scored four runs late. But there was a lot of moving parts in that ball game too. But once we got through a couple of those tough spots in that game, 
you know, it just gave us some confidence. And we, once again, we just grinded it out and scored four, I think, in the eighth. Sometimes you can only get to the top of the mountain after you've learned the best route to scale it through failure. And while the calluses of the past weren't entirely present on the hands of this group of players, new and old scars alike surely guided their coach. Absolutely. So, but it goes back to the Wake Forest game um, when Tyler Dyson threw five five innings in that final game, and him have you know me hopefully showing him some confidence, telling him you're not coming out. I'm not. I'm that plan is not the plan. Okay, the plan is for you. You got to take us to the end of the ball game. So. You know, he gets confidence in that one ball game. So then we play Louisville and we're up five to one. So I think I threw him an inning in the third to finish the ball game. And the reason I did that is I just wanted him to touch the mound and get some confidence because I knew at some point if we lost the game, he was going to factor in. Mm-hmm. And the way he pitched that final game, I mean, you think about it. You get a freshman that's really new to pitching. He only threw out a stretch. He, he, he didn't even know how to throw out the windup at that point. <laughs> And to navigate through that lineup, and they had a bunch of left-handed hitters, was just remarkable. Remarkable. And I I remember, um, I'll tell you a funny story. So when we were taking batting practice, and I was contemplating back and forth, am I going to use Jackson? Am I not going to use Jackson? If I do use Jackson, you know, what's the criteria? So my kids were out in the the left field bullpen. So I go out there with like five minutes left. I'm going to grab them. You know, they're going to go to their, you know, their seats. I go out there and there's probably $41 bills on the ground. So what happened was my kids were taking the balls out of the pitching ball bag and flipping them to the LSU fans. <laughs> and, they, and they were dropping $1 bills. <laughs> so literally, we've got, we've got about 50 minutes before the game, 55 minutes, whatever it is. I'm walking back with both kids. They're arguing about who's got more money, whose money's whose. I got the ESPN camera following me and the kids all the way from the bullpen to the third base dugout. So I go back to the dugout. The kids go to the stands. I go to Eggie, who's our equipment guy. I said, don't ask any questions. We need more balls in the bullpen. <laughs> That's it. So he goes, I won't ask you a question. So he had to run out there and, you know, dump some more balls in there, get them rubbed up, the whole deal. So, you know, and, and here's Tyler Dyson, you know, trying to get ready. And I remember walking back with him from the bullpen and he just had a sense of calmness to him. And obviously, you know, he was outstanding that game. You know, without his performance, who knows what the final outcome is going to be, but he was outstanding. Tyler Dyson gave Florida an outstanding six innings of one-run ball. But as anticipated, Michael Byrne was gassed and allowed four hits in an inning and a third, which meant Jackson would get the opportunity he lobbied for. After escaping the first and third situation unscathed due to the critical play at the plate to keep it 2-1, to one, Jackson got the most valuable insurance runs of his career. So I come in after, for the next inning and I sit down and then it all hits me. I'm like, all right, we got three outs to win the national championship. That is wild. And then we obviously we score four. Um, and so that was a huge, I mean, I, I cannot tell you how nice that felt. I know um, I definitely wasn't, you know, take my foot off the gas, but I knew I could, you know, just let them pitch to contact. And, you know, as long as I'm not walking anybody, they're at least going to hit it at somebody. And, and luckily they did. So, uh, I think those four runs were, were huge. I tell you, start. I went into the bathroom and just, just kind of like regroup. And uh, and I saw JJ in there, and we just looked at each other. And uh, he was just like, "Are you ready?" And I was like, "I, I hope so." <laughs> and uh, he just gave me a slap on the butt. I was like, "Let's do it." And I, I went out there, and I think, uh, yeah, I think when we scored those runs, it was like the biggest sigh of relief. I think that makes it, it felt. It just felt like I could go out there and not be as precise, and that helped me. Few in the Florida dugout had been to the College World Series as many times as Mick Hubert, 
and the longtime voice of the Gators was calling his final baseball game on radio for the team. Those three outs in the ninth inning, I don't know how many minutes, it, it seemed like it took three hours <laughs> to get those three outs because it was every, you, you were just sitting on the edge of your seat every pitch. And really, uh, for the most part, I was fighting back to tears almost on every pitch. And uh, certainly when there was two out, at this point, Jeff had already gone down to the field to, to do the, uh, the post game down on the field. I was up in the booth by myself, and I was really – I was really trying to hold it together as best I could. And then when it happened, you know, when I got that final out, it was just unbelievable. It was the, the whole history of Florida baseball had finally come full circle to winning that national championship. And I was so happy for those guys and for Kevin O'Sullivan, who really, you know, put this together. You know, when he come on here in 2008 as a first-year head coach after being a Clemson assistant and to see this thing through like this, it was, it was just tremendous. Here's Coar coming set. The pitch, swung on, bouncing ball, second base, Lippett on the outfield grass, throws the first, that's it, the ball game is all over. Gloves go flying in the air as the fireworks come bursting out of the stands, out of the outfield. The dog pile is on to the right of the mound. The Gators heaping on one another. Florida has won the national championship in baseball. Oh my, they've done it. They've won it, beating the LSU Tigers. Well, Mick, you said it. 103 years that this has taken, and I've gotten to be a part of this for a really long time and got to come here as a player and so many times as a broadcaster. And just to, to see that, that that celebration on the field and, and what it's all meant and how hard these guys work day in and day out. And This wasn't the best team to, to be here at the College World Series, but they worked hard. They played together. They had fun. They enjoyed themselves. And uh, now the, uh, the ultimate enjoyment they get to experience uh, here at the College World Series. Just uh, an unbelievable moment, and it's uh, something I, I know you'll never forget, I'll never forget, and it's just uh, amazing to be a part of. Oh, my. <laughs> Not a lot of words left, Jeff. Nope. I don't think you can really explain it in words. I think it's more surreal than anything. I mean, you got every emotion in the world running through your body. You got excitement. You know, you're, you're so happy for the players. You're so happy for your staff. You're so happy for the University of Florida. You know, to be a part of the first national championship, I mean, it's awesome. But I don't think at that moment you feel all those things. I think you just keep changing emotions. And, and obviously, the, the first thing you want to do, you want to watch your players celebrate, but you want to go shake Palmineri's hand and his staff. I mean, because mm -hmm. they obviously had an unbelievable season. So you don't want to get caught up in, in your own deal and not show some sportsmanship, obviously the best sportsmanship you can, because I've been on that side too. Because mm -hmm. when we lost to South Carolina, you know, Ray Tanner and his staff, they were outstanding. I'll never forget that. You know, so there, there was, I knew there was going to be a time and a place where we were going to be able to celebrate. But at that moment, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, congratulate Paul and his staff on what a great season, you know, they had. Because I, I felt that disappointment too. While Sully was still thinking the way a veteran coach would in that situation, the players were experiencing unbridled bliss while trying to pull off the perfect dog pile on the mound. When I was in high school, I was on my side, and I got like my shoulders crunched together, and that didn't feel real good. So I was smart enough to in that one, I just went flat back. So, <laughs> and I, Well, at first, I, I kind of didn't want to go down because I, I saw all the boys out of the dugout, and I jumped on Mike, and I saw everyone, and I kind of like tried to, not get tackled and then obviously that I mean I was about a my soft 
That's probably about a buck sixty-five. So that that didn't stand too much of a chance. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just remember I was like, all right, let's go flat back and like let's not get my shoulder crushed. And then I, I kind of like come to and it's just me and burn like nose to nose. <laughs> That's all I remember. And, uh, and I think, I think it was nice. Everyone kind of got sorted out and, you know, just to see everyone's faces and you just can't picture joy like that. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable just to, to have that feeling. And then luckily a bunch, a bunch of our parents kind of made their way on the field. And, uh, that was awesome. I just remember sprinting in and jumping on the pile <laughs> And just the the sheer joy that's running through you, you know, hug all your teammates, all your coaches. And then, you know, of course, your family gets to come on the field, get to see them, give them a hug, enjoy the moment. I mean, it's such a great feeling. Like, it was awesome, like, during, like, when we were dogpiling, when we were celebrating. It was awesome to, like, win the the World Series on my last, like, my last college game. Um, Because, you know, go out a winner, that's, like, the coolest thing you can think of as, like, a a sports fan and but like I didn't get to experience as much because I felt like those guys that uh that got um to go back to college for another year got to experience it a ton like all the celebrations I felt like the school was like like all the students so like that was good to see from them but um I really appreciate it more now just knowing that like like I'm rooting for the uh I'm rooting for the guys that that are playing at at school still but and I try to keep up with it all, but like knowing that we we're the only team to win and the first one to do it is like, it's really special looking back on a year after year now since it's happened. Everyone loves you when you win. And if you happen to have a lot of contacts in your phone, it can make expressing gratitude for the support an even greater task than the feat itself. I had, I think, 1,100 text messages on my phone. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I don't do a lot of social media or anything like that. I don't have Twitter. And I thought at some point, maybe I should get a Twitter because I remember Tim Corbin, the way he handled it when they wanted it at Vandy is he, he wrote a handwritten note um, on his Twitter and just thanked everybody. Mm-hmm. But I just I just started responding to everybody like, thanks, John. Thanks, Joe. You know, and I, I, would, I, I would do 50 at a time, 75 right. at a time, put the phone down. Now, this started on Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday. I didn't get done until Monday morning. Oh, wow. And I remember I was in I was in my kitchen, I was folding laundry, you know, doing the normal everyday stuff that everybody, you know, has gotten to do from a day to day. And I remember just being so relieved. And and at that point, once I got done sending all these texts back, I think it was just a huge sense of relief at that point. But I don't think it hit me until that Monday. And and at that point, I mean, I felt like this I felt like falling asleep for two days. I mean, it just like the emotions finally uh, you know, they just overcame me at that point. Not only was it a swan song for Gator Radio for McHubert, but it helped tick off one of the final boxes on outgoing athletic director Jeremy Foley's career bucket list. Uh, you know, special understatement, uh, throw of a lifetime understatement. And Sully had gone out there with some incredible teams, and I'd been there for every single game. You know, first-round draft picks and p- the best pitching in all the country. And, you know, sometimes you won a couple games, sometimes you lose the first two games. It is very, very hard. Baseball is a tough sport. Eight teams out there. And um, so it's just hard to do. And so to finally bust down for the University of Florida, for the University of Florida to to hoist the trophy in Omaha, for Kevin O'Sullivan to do it, because I know what it meant to him, and um, for this university. And as I said, I'll never forget it. I'd I'd left Omaha disappointed uh, um, every single time in my career until that night. And I'll never forget that night. So, yeah, very, very special 
meant a lot to me personally um, because it kind of was the one one thing we had never accomplished when I was 80, and I was happy to see it finally happen. We hope you've enjoyed this deep dive into Florida's first baseball championship, and be sure to come back next week as we learn more about the individual journeys of professional baseball players Alex Faito and Jackson Kowar. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thanks for tuning in to this installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats.